When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher. This is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm really glad to be able to share a conversation with you that I had with Skip Pritchard. He's the author of the brand new book titled The Book of Mistakes, Nine Secrets to Creating a Successful Future. One of the biggest lessons when it comes to productivity, when ma- when it comes to making forward progress, is learning from your mistakes. One of the worst things you can do is to continue to do the same thing over and over again when it's not yielding results. And I took a turn to turn this episode to a more personal level because I chose the, out of the nine mistakes that are talked about in the book, I picked my top three and we actually cover those specifically. So you'll learn not not just about avoiding mistakes, but you'll learn specifically what are some of the mistakes that I personally make that hold me back. So I thought that might be a a treat for you and a chance for you to get to know me a little bit better as well. So I hope that works for you. I know that I actually really enjoyed doing that. So I know you'll get something out of this conversation, even if it's just learning more about me (laughs) But I'm sure, again, by learning about me, you'll learn something about yourself. So I'll get out of the way and just say, enjoy this conversation with Skip Pritchard. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Skip Pritchard. Skip, welcome to the show. Thanks, Eric. I'm delighted to be here, and I hope it is not a mistake for you to invite me on. (laughs) I know it's not. I I have gone through the book, and I got to say, I'm liking this trend of more, uh, quote, air quote, business books coming out that are fictional that are narrative in style i should say that there's a that there's a story there so that the lessons that you pull out of it even though they're more uh co- concrete and ab- able to be easy to grab uh than say a, a a pure fiction book where you have to kind of read between the lines and say what is the author saying here you're making it clear but i love reading a good fictional story so thank you for that you're welcome and i know i receive a lot of books and I do love a good story. It's a challenge, though. It's really a challenge to write nonfiction where you're learning, but a really good, compelling story. And I read a lot of stories that try to hit the trend, but are not good stories. So it's it's just hard. And and so I was nervous when it was coming out, thinking, well, did I do it? Did I did I create the story and still uh, impart some wisdom along the way? And I'm delighted with the response. But I have to say, I was very nervous when uh, it was going through the process. Yeah. Now, is this part of your natural wheelhouse to not just have leadership capabilities and thoughts and opinions and, and guidance there, but to be able to write something that's fiction? Yeah, I've always been a writer and a storyteller. And I think when I'm speaking, I'm always telling stories. So it came very natural. Actually, the whole thing unfolded very quickly on a flight to Australia. I was stuck on a very long flight, obviously. And Qantas Airlines on that flight did not have a great movie selection. 
<laughs> and the result is this book. Oh wow! Well, it, so so their their mistake was our benefit. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I would love to uh, kind of re- reiterate here. the The book is called "The Book of Mistakes: Nine Secrets to Creating a Successful Future." And people may be wondering, okay, this is a productivity show. What do mistakes have to do with that? And I'm here to say one of the most productive things you can do is learn from your mistakes. All the wasted time and energy, and I'm speaking from personal experience here, of doing the same thing over and over again when it's not yielding any results is just pure unproductive. Absolutely true. I've studied people and I've interviewed over a thousand people myself and all walks of life, a lot of experience. And I find that I learned the most, and I think this is why I was more focused on that. I learn more from people's struggles than their successes, and I think most people do. You know, we we tune out when the billionaire is talking about their fortune. We can't relate to it, or someone is talking about some massive success at a scale that's just unfathomable. But we tune in when the very same people are talking about the struggles they've had with their family or with their business or this or that and the other. And the mistakes they've made. And I found that the time that we tune in can offer the most incredible advice because it's much better to learn the mistakes from others by reading or studying or listening than it is by making them yourself. That is for sure. Well, and that doesn't that play in as kind of one of those key elements of storytelling and one of the reasons why obviously it's great to go through this as a as a quote work of fiction, but also that it's that struggle. It's the character in the story that's struggling that ties, you know, it, it, it ties you into the story because you're identifying with the mistakes they're making as mistakes you could have made too. Yeah, absolutely. And the story makes it more accessible, I think, to people. I know I was writing when I wrote, I was thinking of my daughter, for instance, and she would be bored to tears with the normal business book, but she would be engaged and was engaged in reading a story and learning. So it it, it is true. We We also always remember things in story form. There's lots of research that shows that your hormones actually – uh, you know, you, you actually increase oxytocin production in the brain. I mean, all of these things happen during a story, which helps you remember things. And so the best speakers and writers and things are just telling stories, you know, podcasts on your show over and over. You hear these stories and we just learn from that better than if we just read the facts alone. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, we could talk all day about how fiction can get us to places that nonfiction can't. But I would love for you to briefly, if you can do it without uh, sounding off the spoiler alert alarms or whatever you want to call it, uh, maybe give a taste of what the story of the book is, what the narrative is. Without maybe giving anything away, I'd love for us to kind of tread there. But then also, I definitely want to talk about some of the mistakes and potentially the laws. I don't want to give everything away. I want people to read the book. But uh, again, what's the story behind the book? Right. So there's a young man named David, and he's struggling. He's stressed. He is starting this job, but he's kind of upset that life isn't turning out the way he thought. He kind of imagined he would get a job after school and his bank account would be full and everything would be well. He's also a little bit jealous. He's watching some of his classmates do really, really well. And he's kind of wondering, wait a minute, why is this not happening for me? And he's just struggling. He's stressed. And the next thing you know, he bumps into a girl in the park and 
a mysterious journey starts unfolding where he is learning from an ancient book called the Book of Mistakes. This ancient book has been passed from generation to generation, and it's only revealed to a select few. And it teaches nine mistakes from nine teachers that if you learn them, then you can become wildly successful, more fulfilled, happier. And so he's on this journey and he starts meeting these nine teachers that teach him these nine mistakes because all of us learn these nine mistakes, but often we learn them too late and we want to learn them much earlier in life to make a difference so that we can have a more fulfilling life. So that's kind of the overview of the narrative of the story. Great. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it feels kind of, uh, somewhat mystical and or historical in its in its delivery as it goes through uh, the narrative, which is really that's right up my alley as well. It's you know it's it's not quite Lord of the Rings, but it's definitely like you know it's it's got something it's got some meat on its bones. In other words, thank you. Yeah, the idea was again pull people in and wonder what's happening and what is this about and what is this <laughs> ancient manuscript? Yeah, I had somebody who told me. I started reading the book and I was thinking it was a business book and then it was like Dan Brown. So what's going on? So <laughs> that's great. I'm that's, like, well, yeah, that's okay. Then that's probably one of the best compliments you could get then. Absolutely. I, I mean, really it's just, can you create a compelling enough story that you're interested to know what happens and you're learning as you go. And that, that blend it's, it's like I said, it's a very hard thing to, to hit just right. And, and it, by the way, it doesn't hit for everyone. Nothing ever will. Some people will identify with it. Some people don't. But the key is, can you have a dialogue after reading the book with others? And that's the way it was designed. In fact, there's a, um, a, a quiz I offer on the book of mistakes.com or you can take it and it gives you your character specifically. So you can talk about that with somebody else and compare your uh, number one area compared to theirs. Perfect. Well, I'll make sure to link that up uh, in the show notes for this episode for everybody to go check that out as well. One of the things that I wanted to do was maybe personalize this a little bit more if I can, you know, be so selfish as to do so. I went through and I thought, you know what, out of these nine mistakes, though I've made them all, which three were the ones that really stuck out to me as the ones that I have the most, I have had the most issue with, I guess. I'll, I'll put it that way. And, uh, you know, number one, uh, is, is essentially working on somebody else's dream. Th that can play out in a lot of different ways. Uh, what are some of the ways that you've seen that, you know, people get stuck on that? How do people most commonly make that mistake of working on someone else's dream? I think it happens most often through neglect and drift. It's not something that deliberately happens. Nobody says, I'm going to work on someone else's dream. Right. You know, it just happens. And so often in life, a midlife crisis is not really about being in midlife. It's about a crisis of purpose. It's about a crisis of realizing I'm not where I should be. My heart is not aligned with the circumstances of my life. And when that happens, all of a sudden you have these different crises. You know, it could be when you retire, could be midlife, could be very young. Have a quarter life crisis, I think, is better than midlife because it's much better to find that stuff out early. But it, it just happens through drift. And you don't want to be way down life's path and then find out, wait, I've been working on someone else's plan. And so how can I figure out what my plan is, what my purpose is, and where I'm in my sweet spot? So in terms of uh, your focus so much on productivity and being more successful, you're, you're always more successful when you're in your sweet spot, in your zone. I mean, that's kind of obvious. But 
we don't tend to do that. Oftentimes, people who are successful, people who are achievers have a big battery and can use this energy, but use it in service of someone else's plan. And we don't realize, wait, I could be much more happy or fulfilled, be doing less quote unquote work and more kind of just in the flow of things if I was working on my dream versus someone else's dream. I couldn't help but think of Michael Hyatt when you were talking about this mistake, because I literally ha- just had him on the show uh, pretty recently where he talks about getting into that desire zone, at, which is, again, where you're doing the work that only you can do and you like doing, but also uh, his life planning stuff, where because when you said the word drift, it immediately sparked that idea of, you know, when you're drifting through life and and he has a phrase that's, uh, uh, you know, uh, that's closely related to that in his Living Forward book that talks about life planning. And so, and I'm kind of middle-aged now, I guess, I realize. So, you know, that all kind of hits me sideways the right way or the wrong way. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I love Michael. He's a dear friend. And every time I meet with him, I'm inspired. And at the same time I'm inspired, I walk away with a to-do list. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's the most productive to-do list in in the journal that he uh, created as well. So yes. uh, it, it is really important not to allow yourself to drift and to think about what is that plan. And various there's various ways that we can go about forming that plan and finding what our purpose is. And they work for different people. So not one system works for everybody. And so you want to kind of experience this uh, kind of flow and, and see what do people use and how do I engage with me? Because my personality, my makeup may be different than yours. And yet we can both look for our purpose and, uh, and then find it and, and things flow completely differently. Yeah, exactly. And and one of the things I think uh well, I'll sp- again, I'll speak from experience. One of the th- one of the ways that I get stuck on this where I'm living out somebody else's dream or I've drifted and I'm not necessarily living out my own dream because I've not uh I've not sat down and had intentional time to have awareness of not necessarily what I want to be doing as much as I'm, I'm going to say this anyway. It's it's grammatically incorrect, but who I want to be being. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and and that's that that whole first part is being. And in fact, all of these nine mistakes, though, derive from my life as CEO of various global businesses and interviewing thousand people and all of these things. Each one of these is backed by a lot of research. And the very first one here is actually based on a lot of research from the nearly dying. And as you study people who are dying, there's a lot of study of their regrets. And one of them is, I wish I would have lived a life more true to myself. I wish I would have worked on my own dream, so to speak. That research really forms the basis of mistake number one. Mm. How would you suggest that we learn from this mistake? What is the first step? Obviously, having awareness of a mistake being made, but Step two. What's step two? <laughs> yeah, I think awareness is so important. You know, I think of it literally as you're you're in a river and you're finding that you're on a float and you're drifting and you're drifting and all of a sudden you start to hear something roaring, right, down in the distance. That is, let's say, Niagara Falls. The first thing is to be aware of what's happening. The second step is paddle to shore. (laughs) So you want to get aside so that you can be on the side, be on the shore to say, you know what? I'm going to reflect for a moment. So it's not about 
the immediate action steps I'm taking, I need to reflect. Self-awareness is the first step to see from an aerial view where I am. Then I'm going to pull to the side and I'm going to reflect and think. I'm going to take some deliberate time. I'm going to invest in some resources that will fill me up to think about where I want to go. And then I'm going to tune in. I'm going to, for me, it's tuning into what gives me energy. I'm going to look at my calendar. I'm going to look at the activities that I do and I'm going to say, which ones gave me energy and which ones took energy away. And Oftentimes, again, if we have this big capacity, if we're achievers, if we're driven, if we're trying to hit things, we realize, well, wait a minute, I I was so focused on the to-do list, on the action items, I was so focused on what I was doing, I I, I wasn't really cognizant of it. Let me be more aware of that. Now I'm going to watch where my energy is and the areas where I get more energy, where I feel in the flow, where I don't feel like I was working. I want to do more of that. How can I do more of that? That's my purpose. That's more what I want to go into versus the areas where I was drained. I was feeling less than what I could be. And so that's the way I look at it. So pull aside and then you need to decide, okay, which way do I need to go? Sometimes you have to go back upstream. And if that's the case, then you want to put a motor on that um, float. And there's various ways you can do that because there are tools out there today that can help power your success in a different way than you could. I mean, one of them is this podcast. Michael Hyatt has a lot of resources, books that inspire people that inspire you. Those are all the motor that can get you to power back upstream if you need to go a different direction. Yeah, man. I, I'm glad that you mentioned that. I'm also glad you mentioned taking the moment to to be intentional. Because again, one of the things that we talked about in, in your metaphor of drifting downstream, if you didn't realize that you you unintentionally started to drift, then unintentional flailing around and just paddling whichever direction isn't going to help you. You have to take a look and see, okay, where am I at and where can I go? What are my immediate options? Then I can make better decisions once I've gotten off uh, onto the shore. Yeah. And most successful people have this instinct to act quickly. And we don't necessarily want to just stop and reflect and we think, okay, well, that was five minutes. Now let's go, (laughs) right? I mean, that's kind of why you're you're successful. And yet that reflection time is absolutely crucial. Now, I build that regularly into my calendar each week to reflect and look forward. And I do it at the end of the year, especially to reflect and look forward. And I find that time to be incredibly important for me to determine Where am I going this year and is it where I want to go or am I just swept up in the moment and swept up in my to-do list and swept up with the people around me who are taking me somewhere but not where I want to go? Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search. Just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than three 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com 
slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you enjoy Beyond the To-Do List, I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans. I'm Sarah Hart Unger, the host of Best Laid Plans, a podcast devoted to all things planning and planning adjacent. I talk about everything from paper planner reviews to deep dives into all things productivity, from keeping track of goals and tasks to fitting in your true priorities and reducing the stress around planning and organizing across different areas of life. I am a practicing physician and mother of three, so I have a lot going on in my own life and am intimately familiar with the time constraints that impact us all. And I love sharing my own productivity strategies and learning from others who have their own ideas to share. I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans, available on all podcast platforms, or visit my website, theshoebox.com, T-H-E-S-H-U-B-O-X.com, to learn more. Mistake two that we'll talk about is actually mistake number three. And again, I chose these because they apply to me specifically. So I wanted to give, you know, uh, you and the audience some insight into, you know, where I am specifically or what, uh, again, all nine mistakes, I've made them all, but these are the biggest ones. So uh, mistake number three is accepting excuses. And I think the thing for me, specifically when it comes to excuses, is I like to come up with the, quote, reason something didn't work or the reason I did something to justify an excuse, but it's still an excuse. Yeah, it's still an excuse and it doesn't go away just because you justified it. And we can get really good at our own excuses. One of the quotes that people say all the time from the book is the fact that this idea of the the inner microphone. I say the most important microphone in the world is the one in your mind. And excuses, you can look at all these external excuses, but the most important microphone is in your mind. Guard your inner voice like you would your most precious treasure. Because if you allow your microphone to feed in to these excuses, it will cause you all kinds of problems. Don't believe these excuses that you're telling yourself. It's always easy to justify, to say, well, you know, this didn't happen or I could have done this. But the most successful people that I've interviewed are people that overcome those excuses and overcome that inner dialogue to say, no, I'm going to get back on track. For instance, I'm thinking of Chrissy Wellington. Chrissy Wellington is arguably the greatest female endurance athlete of all time. She has won more triathlons than anybody. And she beats the record so handily that she'll cross the finish line and it's like 30, 45 minutes before anyone else has even seen close to coming by. And that's pretty remarkable. But she got into triathlons because she's in this accident and it stopped her from purely running. And so most of us would say, well, I can't really run. I need to heal. I need to do this. She looked at that as an excuse and she said, well, this is an opportunity. And I'm going to now swim. I'm going to learn to swim because I still want to exercise. I still want to move forward. Well, by getting into swimming, and of course, she was already running, that's how she got into triathlons and eventually becoming this superstar in that field. So how do you reframe things and take that excuse and turn it into motivation in order to get to the next step? Because it's easy, right, for us all to say, hit snooze. I'm busy. I don't feel good. I'm tired. 
there's too much I'm paying in taxes, the competition's too high, I have a negative relative that's uh, really annoying me, blah, 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 right? We're filled with excuses all day. And that can be our mindset, or we can seize control of that internal microphone and chart a different course. Yeah, I, I can't help but think of excuses as being similar to worry in that they are unproductive and they are self-fulfilling prophecies. If we spend time on them, then they grow and it's like kicking up dust and it just keeps growing and growing and growing. Yeah, that's so true. You know, I, I have thought about it and I was thinking about this opportunity that somebody uh, brought me in terms of making mistakes and reframing them. And it came from this man that worked for me in the past at a company I won't name. And he walks into the executive conference room on a Monday morning. And it was a Monday where we had just lost a major client and it was clearly his fault. There was no way around it. We had a letter in from the client saying, this person did this, this, and this, and this was the reason why we are leaving your firm. Well, what could have been a, a real tense moment when he came in to present, which was on a completely different subject, he actually walked in, said, I want to talk about what happened. He acknowledged what he did. He acknowledged it was his mistake. He said, I've purchased on my own dime a ticket to fly out there and talk to this client. I don't think we're going to try to win them back today. I don't think that's realistic, but I'm going to apologize in person. I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to repair the relationship. I'm going to fix this. And I'm also going to make up the money we lost as a firm. We were at first completely speechless, right? Because it's the opposite of what everybody does, which is, well, let me make excuses. I have to blame finance and the pricing was wrong. I have to look at this and the competition. This person was nasty. I mean, whatever the excuse is, he took full ownership, full accountability, and the room erupted into applause. He ended up getting a promotion over time because we were so impressed with that kind of personal accountability. That is the opposite of accepting excuses. And it's contrary to what people think. They think, I can't take any of this. I can't, I can't say that I made these mistakes. I can't own this. I need to distance myself and blame everyone else. But when you do the opposite behavior, in fact, your personal power increases dramatically. I want to come back to that example that you just gave about that person uh, with the next mistake. But before we go there, uh, I want to point something out that uh, with this mistake number three of accepting excuses, it's it's really being – uh, it's being truthful. It's being aware of the, I, you know, in the same way that we, you pause and realize you've made the mistake. Well, in this instance, it's, it's the owning of the outcome, whatever that may have been, uh, and, and then deciding to live with the truth instead of spending the energy lying about what happened and why it wasn't your fault. You own it and move forward. And then I love that in the book, you talk about spinning, um, and or shifting your, all the creative energy that you were going to spend lying and making the excuse and telling this untruth that you spin that into instead owning it and achieving new goals. That shift in energy is key. I mean, you know, we all feel this initial reaction of putting up our, you know, DEFCON 3 and defense mechanism and you know, internally we, you know, it's very natural to not immediately accept this full accountability. I do it. We all do it. 
And yet the faster you can shift from, let me explain why it didn't work and why this is that, and it's not my fault and why I can't exercise or whatever the thing is, the, the faster you can shift from that to, let me use this energy and the same creativity to achieving the goal. How, how great is that? Nobody really cares. I mean, that's the real sad thing about it. We, we think people are all around saying, oh, I listened to your excuse and now I'm with you. I, I believe you. Nobody cares about that, right? What do we care about? Outcomes. So shift from the excuse to the outcome and, and change that focus. It's just such a better experience and it's such a better use of your energy because you will spend countless cycles wasting all this time creating excuses, creating these stories that in the end, nobody really cares about anyway. So now uh, mistake number six ties into mistake number three in my mind, and especially in the example you gave, because mistake number six is allowing temporary setbacks to become permanent failures. So it's almost like saying, hey, that excuse that you just made up, now it's the truth. And you live, you live with that as the truth moving forward, which is living with a lie. It is living with a lie. And mistake number six, allowing these temporary setbacks. Um, I said in the book that if you quickly get back into the game, it remolds your experience before it has time to harden neg negatively. Mm -hmm. And so you just don't want your setback to compound and become this unwelcome experience that just sticks and grows and develops. And most people who fail, who are end up successful, don't see it as a failure. You know, oftentimes you talk to them about failures. You say, well, what's your failure? And sometimes they'll have a hard time even telling you what it is because they don't necessarily even frame it as a failure. They say, oh, that was just a setback, right? And, and I learned from that because I'm like, wow, that's really interesting because what some people would see as an incredible failure, bankruptcy, injury, uh, disaster business, et cetera, et cetera, you're just seeing it as growth. You're just seeing it as a setback along the way that is helping you to get to the next level. And so reframe that in your mind. Successful people see temporary failures as stepping stones to success. And they're constantly reframing things in their mind. They're constantly saying, well, what can I learn from this? How can I grow from this? How can I help others from this experience? And allowing a setback just to propel them to uh, something that's even greater. I think about another athlete. I think about Jennifer Farr Davis I interviewed. She traversed the Appalachian Trail. For a while, she held the world record for the Appalachian Trail, which is over 2,000 miles. And all along the way, she had these incredible things happen. I mean, it was like insects bite her and animals attack her and her eyes get frozen shut, struck by lightning. Each one of these would go, hmm, I think I'm struck by lightning. I think I'll let that stop me. She said, well, that's a temporary setback. People attacking her mentally. Oh, a woman can't win. You can't go north to south. You can't hike and win. You have to run. Each one of those, she was like, oh, I'm going to reject that excuse. I'm going to think of this as a temporary setback. And what did she do? She won the world's record for traversing the Appalachian Trail. And each one of these things is nah, just a setback. And whether I talk to an entrepreneur or an athlete or a newscaster, even a rock star, whatever it is on their learning journey, they see it as just that. Oh, so part of my learning journey. Just another setback, uh, it, which in, implies there's going to be many of them. 
where I could, you know, I could, again, like the example you gave earlier, where the person uh, owned it and immediately turned right around and said, I'm going to make this right. And it may not be right right now, but I'm going to move in that direction. And he let that just be a momentary setback. It was extraordinary, Eric, uh, to, to see. I mean, because I think we were all prepared for, well, what are we going to hear? What's the story going to be? How are you going to answer this? And we didn't even have an opportunity to ask a question. He had full and complete ownership. And you're right. It was just a setback. It was, I messed up and I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to help our business because of this. We're all going to look at this as a, as a win. I mean, it's an extraordinary experience. And and what that does is it shifts the psychology of the room from individual versus group on one side and the other to we have now shifted all on your side. We're behind you. We're with you. We're cheering for you. We want you to win. We want to watch you grow. We're inspired by the accountability that you just took. We might not have labeled it that way in the moment, but wow. We, we are moved by it. And so not only did you allow this setback to not become a personal failure, but instead propel yourself to success, you inspired the entire room because we witnessed that personal accountability in a way that motivated all of us to say, you know what, could I have done that? One of the things that you just reminded me of is, is it's not just about you learning from your mistakes. It's about others learning from your mistakes as well, which is always one of the better ways to learn. I mean, the, the lesson may not be driven home as much, but in the same time, do we need to learn every single lesson from every single mistake that we make? No, we can avoid some. It's nice to be able to avoid some sometimes, you know? It, it is. It's. The, the opportunity to both learn from our mistakes, other people's mistakes, and to be inspired by watching others. I think the entire world was recently inspired when we saw Tiger Woods win the Masters. No greater example can I think of this month than allowing temporary setbacks to become personal failures. He did not make that mistake. I mean, he was at it, right, physically, mentally, working, working, day in and day out. He could have let all of these things, you know, personal things, uh, injuries, whatever it is, become a failure, but he would not let it harden negatively. He was back in the game, remolding that experience, letting it become uh, just part of his learning journey, and then just using a stepping stone to become successful. And ultimately, everyone who was laughing, rolling their eyes, thinking he was washed out. Then they immediately move to his corner and cheer him because he's now back in the success range. Well, it's a great example for everyone to just not allow anything or anybody or any circumstance to become a failure. It's simply a temporary setback. Yeah, I love that. I'm not really a golf person, but I saw all this happen. And one of the really key pieces for me was seeing this video where they were showing uh, Tiger watching uh, news coverage from during kind of his, uh, you know, pre uh, the, pre this win, he, he, you know, where he wasn't at his peak and what people were saying about him and how that talk was going to influence him and all of that. But like he's already sitting there having won again and he's looking at the clips and he's smiling like he realizes that's not me, like what they're saying isn't true. And this is great. So he had learned from his mistakes. So there's my three mistakes. There are nine in the book, let alone three laws. 
not to mention the the narrative story, everybody really just needs to go check out the book because, again, we just scratched the surface here. There's so much more. I would love for you to share. Is there any uh, – I know you mentioned the um, – Yeah, it's a simple quiz, and it okay. tells you the character you are in the book. And would you suggest somebody do that before reading the book so they have, like, maybe a, a person to follow along with or – I've had Will people it do it both ways. Yeah, okay. I, it doesn't really matter. I think I, I personally like it after because okay. you can kind of go through the experience and, and see where you are. But yeah, some people have taken it first and, and like it that way as well. That's true. It's, it's like if somebody said, hey, you're, you're Han Solo before you'd ever watched. Right. <laughs> and then you're watching it like, I'm not Han Solo. What are you talking right. about? Because they don't know the whole story yet. So yeah, I could see. But for, but for some people, it, it probably is helpful. Um, so that's I'll link that site up in the uh, show notes for this episode. Anywhere else that you would like me to direct people to or where your preferred method of, you know, where they go grab the book? Yeah, skippritchard.com, no T and Pritchard, is my main website. And so all of my social media links and all of those things are there. There's a book website called thebookofmistakes.com as well. And yeah, I'd love to hear people's stories and which character they are and what they identified with. I, I find it endlessly fascinating at, in learning from people. And as I've watched this book starting to get translated in languages all around the world, it is also interesting to see the global impact and how people are kind of taking this story in their cultures. It's it's very interesting to me. Yeah, I, I can't wait. I mean, th this is one of those ones where you're going to have to come back and reread it, not just for the lessons, but for the story and, and vice versa, kind of how they play into each other. So, uh, Skip, thank you so much for being here. It's been great talking with you. Thanks for being so generous with your time. Eric, thanks for having me. I love your show. You have a storied list of guests. I'm delighted to join them, and many of them are friends, and I learn from so many of them. So I, I love the work you do, helping us all become better people. So that's another podcast episode checked off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this one. I hope you got something out of it. I know that I did. Again, it was intentional for me to choose three out of the nine mistakes and pick my top three. I'm sure I make all of them. I'm sure you make all of them. But by learning, again, how to avoid repeating those mistakes over and over or by looking at other people's stories, like the story in this book, and being able to draw experiential learning out of someone else's experience is a great takeaway. So I hope you got great takeaways. If you enjoyed this episode and you learned something, I know somebody else will. I'm sure you have somebody in mind who would love to hear this and learn from it. Head on over to beyondthetodolist.com slash 270, where you'll find the show notes for this episode and click the share button. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next episode.